We're going to be in 1 John today and all summer, actually. This 1 John is going to be our summer series. And uh, we're just going to just take it a few verses at a time and just begin to explore what God's Word says to us. I believe that really what we'll find in 1 John is instruction on how we can live a better life. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, a better life. I feel the passion, people. I'm glad. Hey, before we, be, before we begin, though, I do want to update you on something that's going on in the life of our church. As you know, uh, our staff is having a bit of a transition. Andrew has uh, decided to find another place of employment, although they plan on continuing to be a part of our church. And so that has launched us into a search for an associate pastor. We have a team of people. We put out an appli- uh, resume, or I mean not a resume, a uh, job description. We had over 50 applications that were something we want to look at. We narrowed it down to about four, then three. We did phone interviews with three, and now we're pursuing uh, one guy. And uh, it's still quite a bit of a process for us, but I wanted to just keep you updated on that. I will be in uh, Phoenix next week to spend some time with this person. My wife and I actually, Dave and Cindy, are going to go and spend some time with he and his wife and just help him to understand who we are as a church, get to know him a little bit. We feel like what God's doing in our church is so exciting and, and so, um, so important that we want to walk real slowly in this process with somebody, but we know we want to quickly make a move to, um, to support the equipping of the saints that happens in this church. And so anyway, just to let you know, if you have questions about that or you're interested in, in more details about the process, there are no secrets here. Uh, we can let you know as much or as little as you want to know about all of that. Okay? I'm really excited about this series. And I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever been so excited by something you heard or saw that you couldn't wait to tell another person? You know one thing that excites me? Coffee. Can I get an amen up in this place if you're with me? I really believe that's probably one reason I felt God calling us to move into this neighborhood because we live in this area is the best coffee, I think, in the world. Well, maybe in the state. Well, in the city at least, okay? I love coffee. And when I find a new coffee shop, or a drink at a coffee shop that I feel is exceptional. You know what the first thing I do is? I call my fellow coffee lovers. And I said, man, have you been to Catalina? Have you been to Black Hole? Have you been to Blacksmith? Have you been to Inversion or Bungalow or Fellini? Or I may need to get a life. I know all the coffee shops. Um, I'm excited about it, and so I want to share it. That's a small example. How about a bigger example? Something that excites us that we want to talk about. This is quite possibly the largest, most significant, most exciting thing that has happened in my life is when I fell in love with my beautiful wife, Jeannie, down here on the front row. I will never forget our first date. We went to Guido's in Galveston. Raise your hand if you've eaten at Guido's Seafood in Galveston. I was a college kid. I didn't know anything. I certainly didn't have any money, but I knew there was something about this woman. I mean, she was smoking hot. And I need to take her to some fine dining. Somebody told me about Guido's, so we went down there. We went on a date. I won't bore you with all of the things that happened or all of our conversation, but I knew when I left that place, I had seen with my own eyes someone I could love. 
I'd experienced a conversation that in my heart began to change something in me that said, I think this may be the one. You know what I did? First, when I dropped Jeannie off at her house, I called my best friend. I called my mom. I called anybody that would listen. (laughs) And I said, I have seen, I have experienced something I want to share with you. And this is exactly what John is doing in his first letter here called 1 John. He has seen something. He's touched something. He's experienced something so life-changing that he wants to share it with people so that they too can experience that. I love to share about my love for coffee because I want for you to be able to experience the joy of that finely done cortada or espresso or coffee, whatever it may be for you. But what John is doing here is infinitely more important because what he's going to offer his readers is a better life. Not just a better day, a better life. And I believe that if you will open your hearts and let the words of 1 John be planted in you, then you will experience a better life. And by better, what I really mean is that you'll live with joy. No matter your circumstances, because you will experience fellowship with God. You see, a better life doesn't mean an easier life. But a better life means you will live with joy because you will experience fellowship with God. Well, here we go. First John. John is an apostle, so he walked with Jesus. He's the author of the Gospel of John also. He's an eyewitness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And most scholars believe that this letter called 1 John, by the way, if you're in one of the Bibles we handed out, it's in page 1021. That's where we're at. Most scholars believe that this letter was written right between 60 and 70 AD. And it's interesting because in verse 1 and 2, John says things like this. We have heard... We have seen with our own eyes. He's declaring his authority. So who is this guy? I mean, should we listen to him? Well, yes, because he's saying we have heard, we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked upon, we have touched with our own hands, Jesus. We have heard what Jesus has said, what people are saying about Jesus. We have seen with our own eyes how Jesus lived. We've seen him care for those that are in the margin, the sick, the outcasts. We've seen him rebuke the religious leaders for looking religious on the outside but being dead spiritually on the inside. We have looked upon the death of Jesus and his resurrection. We have touched him with our own hands. In verse 2 it says, so we proclaim to you. We tell you. So this is what John's doing. And here is what John proclaims. Look there in verse 5. Here's what he proclaims. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's read that together. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Do it again if you're slow. Come on, wake up people. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Here's my main idea for this morning. A better life begins when, with choosing to walk in the light. A better life begins with choosing to walk in the light. What a powerful idea. God is light. It does not mean that God is actual light, what brightens up this room physically. Instead, it means that God is holy. 
He's pure. He's righteous. He's true. The psalmist says it in this way in Psalm chapter 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. My pastor friend, Steve Besner, out at Houston's Northwest Christian Church, says this, We are able to see the good things in the world because of the light you give, O God. Jesus declared that he was the light. Flip back to the Gospel of John just quickly. John chapter 8. Because this is important that we understand this truth that when God is... We're declaring that God is the light, that Jesus also makes that claim. Some people read the Gospels and say, well, Jesus never claimed that he was God. This is not true. This is an example of a time when Jesus clearly identifies himself in the same place that the people understood God to be. So God is light. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but, who, but will have the light of life. You see, light is so important when we think about a better life. Things that are true and right and pure. Light physically exposes, right? And the brighter the light, the more is exposed. Now, it has been a few years since I went clubbing. It's been a few years since I squeezed into those pleather pants. But I know this. If you go into a club, it's not real bright. Why? It's because people want to hide their dance moves. At least that's the way it is for me. Typically, it's dark, and the darker, the better. That way, we can't really see what's going on. Now, if you like to go club and have at it, certainly would caution you. When I was in college, there was a club that was, I went to Northeastern State University to start my undergrad. It's in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. So as you can imagine, the club scene was not great. They had an old convenience store that they converted into a club. So that was the best we had. But when we walked into the club, me and my boys, we would walk in there and it would be dark, right? Because you don't really want all that's happening in the club to be exposed. As a contrast, think about the light in your bathroom. Very few of you are going into the bathroom to look into the mirror and to brush your teeth with the lights really, really low. Most of us, when we go into the bathroom, we want to see it all. We want to see all the imperfections. And so my bathroom, it's where we have the most light. So I walk in there and I have a little routine. This will be more than you want to hear, a little routine. Every Saturday I'll go in there and I check my, my eyebrow action because I know I'm going to be with people on Sunday morning. I'd make sure I don't have any like crazy nose hairs, you know, and all the blemishes, all the wrinkles <laughs> that I'm getting, all the gray hair, everything is exposed. So the light exposes the blemishes, the wrinkles, and the good. Sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, hey, not too bad. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Uh, so when the light of God, the brightest of all lights, there's no darkness in, of, in God, exposes things, we're able to see what's really there. 
every beautiful part, and certainly there are beautiful things about all of us, but we also, with the light of God, when we walk in the light, we see every blemish, every wrinkle of our heart, every imperfection of our lives, right? And the truth like this demands a response from us. And John knows this. So in 1 John, he offers some common responses. There's three really common responses to the light of God. First of all, avoid the light. Secondly, ignore what we see. And thirdly, walk in the light. John talks about each one of these because he knows he's just claimed something really, really powerful and that people must understand if they want to live a better life. He knows that by saying that, that God is light and that we ought to walk in this light, that people will respond and you're going to respond. People that are around us respond to this. First common response is people avoid the light. Everybody say avoid the light. So if you avoid the light, what you're doing is choosing to walk in darkness. And the result, according to John, is that there is no fellowship with God. If you choose to avoid the light, then you choose to walk in darkness, spiritually speaking, and in this life. You will not be able to see all that God has laid out for you. In Psalm 139, when it says that the creator created you in your mother's womb and knows your days and what he has planned for you. If you walk in darkness, you're not going to get to experience the best of that. Many people avoid the light. They don't want to talk about God. They don't want to talk about what it means that God is light and we ought to walk in him. I'll tell you what, I have been that person. I've been the person that not only before Christ, but since I've become a Christian, there are times where I don't want to walk in the light because I know that once I get in that light, I will not like what I see. And for whatever reason, there's been seasons of my life where I don't really want to change what I know I'll see. Some of you may be avoiding the light. A second common response is that we ignore what we see. So you say, yeah, I'm walking in the light, and then you do, and then you see something, but you ignore it. Verse 6 says, we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. Verse 8 says, we say we have no sin. You know what the result of this is? You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. So if you walk in the light of God's truth, and you see something about your life that's not quite right, that God's trying to expose some blemish, some wrinkle, and all of us have them, and we're unwilling to repent and respond and trust that God is going to work that area out of our lives, and we choose to ignore it, then what we're ultimately doing is lying to ourselves. You're deceiving others. This is very, very common And in this mode, what we oftentimes do is make ourselves feel better by comparing our lives to other people. And all of you can think of somebody else who's living a less godly life than you. But that's not the way things work with God. God says, walk in the light, and then when we get exposed, we see things, and the act of worship that we get to do is to say, 
That is not pretty. God, I don't want to ignore it. I want to give it to you. I need you to work in this area of my life. I need to be in community with other people so that you can work on these areas of my life. If we're unwilling to do that, we ignore it. You know what? We're deceiving ourselves. And here's something I want you to hear loud and clear. Deception disconnects. If you lie to yourself, you will lose connection with your own soul. If you lie to others, you will lose connection with them. I think the most pressing issue of our day has to do with connection. For whatever reason, and this is a sermon for another time, but people seem less and less capable of connecting deeply with other people, connecting deeply with God. And part of the problem is we get in this posture, this mode where we lie to ourselves. We ignore what we see whenever we walk in the light of God. We begin to lie to ourselves. And we think it won't cost us or cost others. Of course it does. And when we lose connection with our own soul, you know what I mean by that? You know, you lie to yourself. You ignore what you know is truly there. When we lie to other people, we lose that connection. You know what happens? Is we live really lonely lives. Are you lonely? I have been this person. I've been this person. I've shared with you before, but there was a period near the end of 2014 where I felt really lonely, which is strange. I have a wonderful wife and beautiful children and lots of friends, but just in my heart, I felt really lonely. And so I sought out a mentoring relationship with somebody that's in the neighborhood that's been a pastor and I trust and love deeply. And I just told him, and we began to walk through this series of, of conversations where it really brought me into the light of God. And what got exposed in my heart was some darkness that I was lying to myself about. And although admitting that those dark places are there was very painful and exhausting at times, I want you to know that what I felt more recently than maybe ever is the ability and capacity to connect with God and other people. Are you ignoring what you see when you walk in the light? If you are, you're lying to yourself. A third common response when we walk in the light is that we let the light expose us. We let the light expose us. We gladly and willingly let God expose the dark areas of our heart. This doesn't sound very attractive to you, maybe, because it can get messy. And one of the things about this we have to believe is that there, it's possible to have a church where a group of people, upon getting exposed, will be warmly welcomed and loved rather than shunned and cast out. One of my dreams for this church, and I believe it to be true, is that we would be a place is that when people are growing their faith, when their blemishes are getting exposed, that rather than saying, looking down our fingers and saying, how could you, we say, we love you, we'll walk with you, we care for you, let's walk in the light together. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a powerful truth. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing your sin as you walk in the light and things get exposed is acknowledging whatever the light reveals as darkness in your life. And I want you to know all of us have this. All of us have these areas. I mean, I get paid to be a Christian. (laughs) That's a joke. All right. Um, And I certainly have areas of darkness in my life. I walk in community with other brothers who, who get to see that, and it's painful and it's ugly, as I've already mentioned. But there's something beautiful about walking in the light and confessing our sins to God and knowing that God is not looking down his finger at us and saying, get away from me. He's saying, no, this is why I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. Because you are broken. You are busted. And you do need a Savior. Three common responses. Avoid the light. Ignore the light. Or walk in the light. For some of you, this illustration may help. How many, raise your hand if you uh, got caught in the rainstorm last night. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand up if you, yeah, I did. So I, where I live, um, the drain is at the bottom of my driveway. And so I have the privilege every time it rains of going, wading into the water because the road really quickly floods and, and digging out the drain. So all the leaves and debris that's on the street gets washed down there. So I have to dig it out. Other way, otherwise, it will plug up the drain. Well, yesterday I was doing that during the storm, and I looked down, and I live basically facing 59, right at 59 and near Shepherd. And so I looked down. <clears throat> go back one picture. Okay, so I looked down, and this road right here is Hazard. And so if you get off of 59 right at Shepherd, and you don't get back on the freeway going northbound, you will end up on Hazard. Well, people were getting off the freeway because... 59 was flooding, and so it was blocked, and they, so they thought, I'll just get off and get back on. Well, you can't do that right there. And so as I was unplugging the drain in my street, I looked over, and it's just absolute pandemonium. I mean, it's amazing. I'm like, just park your car, wait 30 minutes, you'll be cool. But it's pandemonium. People are honking at each other. People are rolling down the windows and giving each other the middle finger. You know, it is absolute pandemonium. Cars are trying to turn around. There's, it's just jam-packed like a parking lot. And so I walk over there. And I walk around the corner, and the issue was uh, this. The street was flooded, and so cars couldn't get through. And what was so interesting to me (laughs) was that all the neighbors were, like, standing out there just looking, you know, like drinking their martinis and, you know, looking. And I'm like, there is a problem. There's obviously a problem, and just standing around and looking at it is not going to solve the problem. And the problem was what? The street's not draining. And so I went and got my shovel, and I walked around the corner, and I will admit, I did hear some pretty epic music in my mind. <laughs> I felt, I heard like the Superman soundtrack or something. And so I waited out, you know, and the kids are like, can we go? I'm like, no, y'all stay in the house. This is too dangerous. <laughs> I said, go, my oldest, I said, son, if something happens to me. Make sure your wife, my wife, marries a really wealthy man. 
So I walk around there, and I begin to wait out, and I have to take the shovel, and I'm banging it up against the, the curb because I have no idea where the drains are. And so I'm out there, and people are looking at me, and, and one woman just hollers at me, watch out for snakes. And I thought, oh, thank you for the encouragement. And so I'm banging along, and eventually I find one of the drains, and I take my shovel, and it, and it is up past my knee. And, and uh, I start banging on it, and eventually I start digging it out, and it just slowly and surely, and another guy comes, and he goes, he's like on his phone, you know, taking pictures. And, um, and I, he said, hey, man, can I help? I was like, yeah, dude, get a shovel, bro. There's four drains on the street. So he got out there also. So this is me here. This guy in the blue jacket didn't do anything. I just want you to know that right now. Nothing. It's about what he did. Sat there and picked his nose the whole time. Anyway, so there I am, and, uh, and the guy behind me, and so, it, uh, so you can see actually where it's draining right there. And so we did this for probably an hour, and as I'm standing out there, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for a Saturday happening for a Sunday sermon, because it occurred to me several things about this. One is, while we're standing out there, before I begin to try to get the drains cleared, this guy pulls up to the edge of the water after the other two guys had already pushed somebody out of the water who got stuck, and they tell him, do not try to go through the water. And he ignores them. He goes into the water, and he gets stuck. It was a sweet Cadillac, too. He gets stuck. And I'm also sitting there thinking to myself, this is so much like what I do on a Sunday morning. I get to stand before people, and rather than saying, hey, there's a problem, Some of you are not experiencing the life that God has for you. There's a problem. You may even have some friends around you going, there's a problem. What I'm saying to you is this. There is a problem, but there's also a solution. So let's get after it. Somebody's got to unplug the drain so that you can get moving forward. And what I'm trying to do here is say that part of unplugging the drain in your spiritual life so that things can move forward in your life is recognizing that when we walk in the light, God exposes things in us. And rather than going, ooh, I don't like that, I'm going to avoid God, or ooh, I don't like that, I'm going to ignore and lie to myself and lie to other people, what we ought to do is walk in the light, confess our sin to God, and in that beautiful exchange, you know what God does? God says to you, much like what he said to the prodigal son that Matt preached about last week. The prodigal son is a story about two sons and a father. And one of the sons goes to his father and says, give me my inheritance, which was way out of line. But the father gives him his inheritance. He goes to a foreign country. He lives wildly. He becomes poor and begins to eat with the pigs. This prodigal son then comes back and the greeting from the father is mind-blowing because the father had every right to say, nope, you chose another way. Get out of here. But instead what the father did was the father warmly embraced him. Matthew Henry, the famed scholar, says it in this way. His father saw him. There were eyes of mercy He ran to meet him. There were legs of mercy. He put his arms around his neck. There were arms of mercy. He kissed him. There were kisses of mercy. He said to him, there were words of mercy. Bring the best robe. There were deeds of mercy. 
wonders of mercy, all mercy. Oh, what a God of mercy he is. This is what it's like when you walk in the light and darkness gets exposed. If you choose to avoid it, you'll walk in darkness. And that's your choice. If you choose to walk in the light or claim to walk in the light and ignore dark areas of your life, then you're lying to yourself and you're lying to others. And I believe that you become further and further separated from your soul and other people, real connection with other people. But if instead, whenever you walk in the light, if you get exposed, and I know right now some of you are thinking about areas of your life that God has exposed as darkness. If you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You will have a better life. We'll have fellowship with God. You'll be a friend of God. And you will experience a depth of connection with others in a way that you could not even begin to imagine. Because all of us have one thing that's true about us, and that is that we have blemishes, we have darkness, and we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. I have been this person. I've been the person who... For whatever reason, by God's grace, have come before God and said, God, I have a dark area in my life. I need you to cleanse it. I've enjoyed the fellowship with God that John talks about. My question to you is, what do you choose? Do you choose to walk in the light? Is there an area in your heart that God is exposing? What will you do about it? Will you repent? And I do believe deeply that Part of our process of repentance is being in community with another person or a few people where we can talk about these things without judgment and condemnation, without shame, but we can also be challenged to move forward. So if you're in relationship with somebody like that and you tell them about the dark areas of your life and really there's no sense of like trying to help you move forward and obedience to God, then that's not necessarily the kind of relationship I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of loving relationship that's true and right and can move us forward and disciple us forward to look more and more like Jesus Christ. If you choose to walk in the light, confessing your sin in an ongoing kind of a way, you will truly be walking in the light. And this, my friends, is the better life that John's talking about. Let me just offer one more illustration, and uh, hopefully it can kind of complete your thinking about all that John is saying. So when I moved into the house that I live into now, uh, we didn't actually buy it at first. We rented it, and we rented it in a really terrible state. It was the only house that we could find that they would rent to us. We had three kids. Most houses were not super into the idea of, like, having tenants with three kids, And so we found this house. It was bad shape, but it was the only choice we had. So we rented it, we moved in, and we cleaned it up. I mean, it was livable, but I didn't really care that much about it. I mean, I knew the gutters needed work. I didn't really care. I knew it needed some work in the fence. I mean, it wasn't wasn't my house. I didn't own it. But two years ago, we came to a place where we either had to buy it or move, and buying it was our best option, so I bought it. I purchased it. It is now owned by me and Jeannie. When that happened, 
I care deeply that the things that are broken get fixed. I begin to take effort to shine the light in the dark places of that house to repair it. In the same way, I want you to think about this analogy like in Christ you are purchased by God. He cares about your life. You're not a throwaway to him. He wants for his life to expose kind of the dark areas of your life, not just so you'll feel shame or condemnation or judgment, but so that you can function and live the better life that God has for you. So now what I'll do is I'll go throughout my house and I'll look for imperfections and I see them and I'll work on them because I want our house to work. I've gotten under my house and crawled through that crawl space, done work on the pier and bean rooted out some critters down there. Why? Because I want for that house to work and be what it was intended to be. I'm not just renting it, but I own it in the same way in Christ God has purchased us. And our lives, as we walk in the light, we get exposed and God purifies those areas of our life or wants to so that we can live and for our purpose that we were created. What will you choose? What is an area of darkness that God wants you to repent of today?